You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Arden, your host of the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. This is the first time I'm recording in about a month and a half, maybe a little bit more, and I've really needed the break, so I can't thank you guys enough for your patience before putting out these episodes. As always, I do want to apologize for any dogs that you may hear in the background, especially during intros, but I try to cut them out of the episodes whenever they do bark. Um, Around here, we have a lot of animals, therefore there are usually animal sounds. In today's episode, I want to give a trigger warning because there is mention of terminating a pregnancy. It's terminating a wanted pregnancy for a myriad of reasons, and I really appreciate Gabriella sharing her story because it normalizes that there are a lot of factors in pregnancy and in bringing life into the world. And, you know, whenever you have diagnosis and life events and things like that. So I did want to start this conversation with a trigger warning in case you're not in the space to hear about a pregnancy termination. There is big talk about miscarriage in this episode too, so that's not um, all that we talk about, but it is part of her story. Gabriella shared her story very bravely, and I'm, I'm so thankful for her openness, and there's that dog sound. I hope that you guys could hear that. Um, I'm going to get right into the episode. Before I play the episode, I did want to let you guys know that you can sign up for my email newsletter. I'm starting to put out a newsletter called The Morning, like M-O-U-R, Morning. And um, in that newsletter, there's going to be custom content that I'm not sharing anywhere else. There's going to be discounts on things. You're going to be the first to know on events. And I have some really great ones coming up in October, especially. I will put the link in the show description. Also, Gabriella and I talk about a lot of different things that I do link to in the show description. That way you guys can easily follow along. So please always check that out because I try to link whenever we talk about books or podcasts or anything that can help you guys. Let's get to it. This is my conversation with Gabriella. Hi, I'm Gabby. I'm originally from Vancouver, BC, Canada. I recently relocated up to the Okanagan, which is our desert wine country about two years ago. I had to think long and hard on this one, but my story pretty much starts when I was 16. I was placed on birth control at 16 years old with acne problems, as well as my period was really off balance. It had odd durations, unpredictable timing, really heavy flows to non-existent flows, and it really didn't have any rhyme or reason to it. So I was put on birth control, and it was good, and it had its way for years. I was on a variety of different brands, but it was always the pill form. It really, it worked. It leveled out my period for a solid chunk of time. But around my mid-20s, things started to kind of shift. 
and a bit, and it started to become less consistent. There were odd days, it wasn't coming when it was supposed to be, and it really changed in its consistency. It went from being a really good, healthy period red blood to a thicker, more of like a date color consistency and texture, which I later learned in my 30s by reading the book In the Flow by Alyssa Vitti, that is actually a sign of low progesterone and that your hormones are way off balance. I didn't know that at the time. So I didn't really pay any attention to it. And at 28 years old, so this is back in like 2014, my period stopped altogether. I had recently just broken up with my boyfriend of eight years. So I thought, is this breakup stress? Is this my life in shambles stress? And I checked, not pregnant. So I was like, okay, this is good. You know, this is just me going through a whole whirlwind of emotions and I didn't think anything of it. So about six months later, still no period. And I decided that this really isn't normal. So I go to see a gynecologist. He checks me over and he tells me everything is fine. He says he would actually be more, more worried if I couldn't stop having a period. So if my flow just was a consistent thing rather than me not having a period. And he says, it's just been because you've been on birth control for so long that your uterine lining is so thin. So it can't shed anymore. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. It'll come back. You're fine. This doesn't really sit right with me because at this point with the time period between requesting to see the gynecologist to actually seeing the gynecologist, it's been one year of me not having a period. So I'm like, all right, I don't really think that this is completely legit. So, and I want different answers and different responses. So I go the natural route and I start to see a naturopath and a acupuncturist. I'm seeing both of these for a period of time and it's still continuing on with birth control and about three months in they're both keep telling me that in order to really be able to analyze where everything is going that I need to come off birth control because in eastern medicine they need to be able to test your blood levels and your hormones and your blood potency and stuff and they can't do that when you're on synthetic hormones so I finally give in and I come off birth control after about one year of not having my period whatsoever. So I'm off and it's the tail end of 2017, continuing on with my naturopathic and my acupuncturist, I still have no period, but I'm continuing on with everything and I'm starting to feel better. My mood levels are going up. I'm feeling a little bit better in myself and just overall feeling like things are starting to shift for the better. I have light spotting here and there, which to me is like a great sign because I haven't had anything for a year, but still no period. Um, at this point, I'm about 31 years old. So I go back to see the gyno and the GP and I'm like, Hey, you know, this still isn't normal. I'm seeing all of these natural medicines it's helping, but it, I'm still not there. Can we run some tests? So they run all of the hormone tests and well, the light versions that are free within the Canadian medical system and everything comes up fine. So they're like, don't worry about it. You're fine. We're not concerned. Part of my treatment with the natural pathic doctor and the acupuncturist was to actually log my basal body temperature. So I had an app on my phone and every morning I would log that, which kind of gave me an indication of where I should have been within my cycle. 
but without actually having my period, it wasn't 100% accurate. Um, it was fairly accurate based upon temperatures, but we never really knew where it was. So my boyfriend and I at the time, we were monitoring that app to find out where I was at and we were using protection. It's now the summer of 2018 and lo and behold, I get pregnant. I haven't had a period for four years at this point. So me not having a period is really not something that's out of the blue for me. So I didn't actually realize what was going on. My energy levels had changed a bit. I was really tired, but I didn't really think anything of it because at this point, the job that I was in, I was working like 70 hours a week. And it was just like, oh, I'm just tired because I'm overworked. I had a dream that I was pregnant that was so visceral and so real that I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I wonder, I wonder if this is a thing that is happening. And the tell for me was really awkwardly when I'm sitting in an airport reading to head to site for a project and I've purchased this like Tim Hortons breakfast sandwich and a coffee and I'm trying to eat it and I cannot for the life of me. The coffee tastes off and it's just making me feel sick and the smell of the egg is just making me want to be sick. So I have to throw everything away. And to me, I'm just like, that's not normal. That is, that is the huge offsetting pudding for you. Something is not right. So I have a little mini freak out on an airplane and on a construction site, but I settle myself. And then the next day I'm like, no, I need, I need to know what's going on. So on my walk into work, there's a pharmacy and I pop into there and I buy myself a pregnancy test and I nip into the public washroom of the office and I take the pregnancy test right there and then. And the strongest, most prominent, like, yes, there's no questioning. You are pregnant. Pregnancy test comes up and I'm like, okay, this is, this is happening. And I have this giant internal freak out all by myself in my office and it wasn't great. <laughs> so I get home and that evening I tell my boyfriend and it did not go quite as I had envisioned. He was shocked to say the least. At this point in his story, he's in a really bad place mentally and emotionally. He's depressed with this horrible work situation that is going on where he's pretty much just waiting every single day to know whether or not he's going to be fired for some unknown stupid reason. And he's also dealing with family and emotional stressors with the fact that his dad has just been diagnosed with cancer again. And I should also preface all of this with the fact that I have a genetic condition. I was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is more commonly known as brittle bone disease. And it basically affects the collagen chromosome in your bones so that you don't bind calcium properly and you break more easily. Um, I have been diagnosed as osteodomal dominant, so I have a minimum of 50% chance that I would be passing that defective gene on and with its variety of, of options that come with it. So by the time that we actually get in to see the doctor, I'm about 10 weeks based upon the app dates that it had been tracking and where I should have been. 
And even though I'm at 10 weeks, we can't get in to see an ultrasound through the standard medical system. So we have to go through the private system. We get into that ultrasound and it confirms that yes, I am at 10 weeks and I'm nearing 11 weeks. And right before that ultrasound, I actually puked in a bush. So that was a great, great moment in that period of time of my life. And collectively, we, we sat down after that ultrasound and we had a big, long conversation. And I just remember looking at my boyfriend's face during that ultrasound and just seeing this look of, oh my God, I can't do this. And I knew mentally and emotionally where he was at with everything going on in his life that I, I couldn't add this to his plate. So we had these horrible and impossible conversations and that mixed with my bone disease and all of these genetic tests that would have had to have been done in order to find the genetic chromosome that was defective um, and a whole other multitude of things going on in both of our lives, we made the decision to terminate the pregnancy. So we went through that whole process and got checked over and everything and everything was fine from that whole end. And that was a traumatic experience all of in itself. And I never really got a chance to process it and to, to deal with it because three to four weeks after we decided to terminate, my boyfriend was let go of his job. And our whole world just changed and got flipped all entirely all again. I had to pick up part-time work as well as freelancing work in order to pay bills. Um, I'm an interior designer and a project manager. So I was really just trying to keep our heads above water. My boyfriend at that time, he crumbled. He being let go of his job on top of deciding to terminate and his dad and all of these things, he just, he plummeted. And I've never seen him so low. So when someone crumbles and someone just gives up, basically someone needs to be the strong one. And that ended up being me. So even though I was going through everything that I was going through with the termination, I had to be the strong one. So my only way to be able to deal with that was just to push it aside and to put it underneath the rug and to just keep on going on and one step at a time. So that's how I dealt with that whole process is that I didn't really deal with it. I just kept on moving forward because I didn't really have a choice. About two months after he was like, go from his job, he accepts a new role in a position that would actually have us moving five hours away from where we were currently living. So again, our entire lives are just being put on an end. I am now dealing with all of the emotional items of that and what moving represents. I had landed my dream job and would now have to leave it. And we had to figure out how that whole complexity was going to work. He leaves for his new role. He proposes before he goes. We spend five months apart while he's starting his new job and I'm finishing my job. 
and I relocate up to the Okanagan and go on spousal relocation EI. To say I'm depressed and out of sorts is honestly an understatement. Um, it was a really low period of time in my life. Everything combined on top of it just made it a really horrible period. Did I acknowledge that it was related to the termination? No, I kind of just placed it in my head that it was related to relocating in my entire life, just being uprooted. Looking back now, I can definitely see that it 100% played a part, but past Gabby of a year and what two years ago was not that self-reflective. Um, my way of coping with it was to throw myself into our new puppy and planning a wedding and then eventually deciding to start my own design and management studio in 2019. So it's the tail end of 2019 coming into 2020 and COVID happens. And the wedding that is planned ends up being canceled in March. And with every shitty situation that is going on in the world, we decide that it's never going to be a perfect time and we might as well just start trying. I figured that with my period problems and my hormone issues and the fact that I hadn't had a period for give or take four years at this point previous to that, that it, it wasn't going to happen for us right away. So we decided we would start trying because obviously with everything going on with me that it was going to take longer. It didn't. I got pregnant on the very first try. I was scared and I was excited all at the exact same time, um, not knowing what was going to happen and not really knowing how the whole genetic portion was going to play into it. It was a whirlwind and a mix of emotions. I didn't really have any symptoms with that pregnancy except for exhaustion. Looking back and comparing the two, um, not knowing that I was pregnant with the first one, there was definitely symptoms of pregnancy that I just wasn't aware of because I wasn't actually looking for it. My breasts obviously grew. They were super tender. Um, I was had weird food aversions. I was tired all the time, but I just really kind of wasn't paying attention and chalked it up to a whole bunch of other factors going on in my life. And with this second pregnancy, I didn't really have any of those symptoms. I had sheer exhaustion, but that was about it. I also have ulcerative colitis and around seven or eight weeks of pregnancy, I got hit with these extraordinarily painful stomach pains that have me curled up in a ball crying. So we go to the OER to make sure everything is okay. They run all the tests and can't really diagnose what it is, but eventually it subsides. They do an ultrasound, but they couldn't find the heartbeat. The doc says that it was because I'm so early on that he wouldn't expect it. And in the emergency department, they didn't actually have a transvaginal ultrasound. So they weren't able to perform that test. But he said, you know, when you have your actual ultrasound, everything will be okay. So we go home. We have our planned ultrasound at 10 weeks, so about two weeks after this period of time. 
The tech also can't locate the heartbeat. So she does a transvaginal ultrasound, says that it's actually measuring at eight weeks and doesn't give us a whole lot of other information from that above that the doctor will be touching base with us. And at that point, I kind of get this idea in my head that something's a little off and that she would be telling us more if she could and that if it was good news. So all of my senses and everything are on high alert at this point. We meet the doc one day later. He explains that the difference in length could just be my dates were off and that the tech didn't want to mention anything because there was the possible presence of two sacs, so twins. And this was really exciting for us because my husband is also a twin. So we were all super excited about this, but the doc doesn't flag anything. He doesn't tell me to watch out for anything, um, that these are the concerns that we might have. So at the same time that there's the possibility that there could be twins, there also could possibly be these other things and I need you to pay attention to these. He just basically says that we're going to test you in another two weeks for another ultrasound and see where we're at that, see where we are at that point, but just don't worry about it. So we go home with an idea in our head that everything's okay, that we very excitedly might be having twins and that we're going to be rechecked in two weeks. But deep down inside of me, I just have this feeling that something is off. And I'm, I'm worried, I'm freaking out a little bit. And my husband is trying to be this, this beacon of positivity and being like, Oh, we'll just wait for two weeks. Don't don't worry about it. And at this time, my sister actually comes up to visit with this great news that she is actually pregnant. She has her own fertility struggles and has been dealing with a lot of things herself. So I am so beyond excited for her, but also so wrapped up in my own head and my own doubts and my own fears of everything that is going on with myself that I don't really think I properly acknowledged that she was pregnant and that this is an amazing thing for her. I was just so absorbed myself. We didn't actually end up telling my dad who came up with my sister or my sister when they were visiting because we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know whether or not everything was okay, whether or not we could do the testing and that if we would find my genetic condition, we didn't have any information. So we didn't tell them what was going on and that we were pregnant ourselves. But really more importantly, I didn't want to steal her thunder. I didn't want to make her amazing joy into something that was now about me. I just wanted her to be able to have this lovely weekend where there was this amazing joy and happiness in her life, even though myself was just going through this horrible internal turmoil. So we go back two weeks later for our second ultrasound, and again, they can't locate the heartbeat so they do a transvaginal ultrasound and I took one look at the text face and I knew that it wasn't okay but of course they can't tell you anything 
And she just kept on saying that she couldn't provide us with any information and that she was sorry about that. But you could just read it on her features that it was not okay. So I break down in that treatment room and I have myself a big, massive cry. And the doc calls a few hours later once we get home. And he lets me know that I am experiencing a miscarriage. And in the two-week period of time between the two ultrasounds, the fetus went from measuring eight weeks to measuring just shy of five. I had no symptoms. I had no warning signs, no alerts, no spotting, no cramping, no bleeding, nothing. I just very slowly went from being pregnant to not being pregnant without ever even knowing and without ever experiencing any of it, which is so heart wrenching because in yourself, you just, you want to believe that you have the capacity to do this, to bring life into the world. And if you can't even experience and know when something is wrong, how do you even deal with that? So that was gutting and it was the most horrible experience I have ever been through, just feeling like I had no way of knowing and that that just makes me the worst person in the entire world. With COVID and procedures just restarting in the hospitals, they couldn't guarantee a DNC that they would be able to book me, that I would be able to be seen when I was supposed to be seen, and I wouldn't get bumped for a more urgent surgery. And I couldn't take an extended period of time off from work to just sit in a hospital and wait to see whether or not my scheduled DNC would take place. So I made the decision to go with the pills. And the prescription was called in for me. And I remember going down to the pharmacy and picking up the prescription. And the tech person calls over the pharmacist in order to you know, talk to me about this drug that I picked up. And she says to me that we need to warn you that these can cause miscarriage. And I just received the news from my doctor. And I just look at her with this dead face. And all I wanted to do was say to her, like, no shit, Sherlock. I am quite aware of this. But instead, I just blanketly looked at her and was like, yes, thank you. Meanwhile, I am like dying inside and just want to scream at someone, but I can't take that out on this poor little pharmacist tech. So, so I don't, I hold it in and I'm pretty sure I screamed at my husband later on that night, but sounds about right. I take the pills and there's no forewarning really in terms of what to expect. The doctor goes through his, his usual rigmarole of, oh, well, you know, you can either take them vaginally or you can take them orally. You'll explain, you'll experience some discomfort. And, you know, within a certain period of time, you should start bleeding and actually shedding out the uterus or shedding out the fetus and such. Um, if you don't, stop bleeding and you start going through a 
bloody pad within, I think it's a few hours, then you need to go to the ED. That's, that's all the information I got from him. I didn't get any information in terms of what to expect with the level of pain, how long it was expected to take, what was a normal duration or period of time, nothing. And no one really alerts you that the excruciating pain that you're experiencing during this whole process is actually labor pains. And it wasn't until I started listening to the Life After Miscarriage podcast that when a bunch of other women mentioned this, that I clicked the two together and I was like, oh my God, that is, that is the excruciating pain that I felt during this whole process. The pills that they gave, which was just T3s, didn't do anything. Luckily, I had a couple of pills left over from an injury that I'd had years ago. So popped myself full of whatever that was. And with being a solopreneur, I couldn't take an extended period of time off. I couldn't take a bunch of days off and have work be able to be taken on by somebody else. I couldn't give myself that time to be able to process and to grieve because without me, there is no business. And I had projects going on and I had clients calling and emails and all of these things that needed to continue to just push forward. So I gave myself the the one day of excruciating pain. And the very next day, I am back at my desk, hunched over with a heating pad, popping painkillers like they're candy. And trying to get work done. And now being able to look back at both situations from a reflective perspective is that 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 is pretty much my coping mechanism is that when I'm going through grief and I don't have the capacity to be able to deal with it at that time, I just push it aside and I and I say, we'll, we'll deal with this later. The point problem that I found later on is that I never really got to later. I just kind of kept pushing it aside and just thinking that if enough time went by, that eventually it would just get better. I didn't really process anything or acknowledge that I was really even grieving, even though I clearly very visually and emotionally was grieving, I didn't allow myself that mental ability to kind of put the two and two together. I was angry. I'm upset at this time. I'm mad at every other person in the whole wide world that is pregnant, which is really hard because my sister is pregnant at this time. And all she wants to do is to talk about her pregnancy and how she's feeling and all these types of things. And she eventually around this point finds out about my miscarriage because I tell her and that opens up a whole other conversation, but you feel horrible inside of yourself for hating every single person who is pregnant, but you just, you can't help it. You are mad. And I, and I'm angry, and I'm upset, and I'm so jealous. And every single person that is pregnant is just a constant reminder to me that I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't stay pregnant and do the one thing that you're supposed to be able to do. 
and during this time, um, my husband's best friend ends up getting pregnant. His sister gets pregnant with their fourth child. His cousin gets pregnant with their second. My best friend gets pregnant with her second. And it's just all of these people that are so close to you. And it's not their intention in any way, shape or form to rub it in your face or anything, but it just feels like a constant dig at you. And for me, it felt like a stab at myself that I couldn't, I couldn't do this. I didn't cope very well through all that whole process. Um, being able to look back at it now, I'm very aware of it. At the time, I was not. <laughs> I really, I just cried for no reason. I got upset with my husband for no reason. I had zero libido or interest in any kind whatsoever of physical touching. I expected him to be there when I wanted him to be there and to not be there when I didn't. How he navigated those whole six to to eight months, I will never know. But he was amazing through the whole thing. He was supportive. He listened. He was understanding. He gave me the space when I needed it and I asked him to. But I never really acknowledged it until recently that he was going through his own processing and his own grief himself. And I think one of the big things to, to remember with all of it is that everybody grieves differently. I used to get upset with him in the earlier stages of the whole grief that he wouldn't be grieving the way that I was. He wasn't angry. He wasn't crying for no reason. He didn't get that gut-wrenching anger and instantaneous jealousy when he heard that other people were pregnant. He wasn't reacting in the same way that I was. And I took that as he wasn't grieving and that it hadn't hurt him and it hadn't meant as much to him as it did to me, which now being able to actually talk about it is, is not the case. But at that time, that is, that's how it felt, was that because he wasn't grieving the same way that I was, that he wasn't grieving at all. And, you know, since then, we've been able to really talk a lot more openly about it. And he, he has grieved and he grieves in his own way. Um, men generally, not, not to generalize, but just kind of the way that he processed it was that he was a lot more silent and a lot more retrospective about it all. And he would go off and putts around in the garden or go in and break something and then put it back together or fanatically clean and, and kind of absorb himself in, in something to physically do. Meanwhile, I would just break down into tears and be unable to function for days at a time. So it was very difficult for me to be able to see that it looked like he was just moving on with his life, which was not the case. It was just his 
his way of processing and his way of grieving. And for myself, I didn't really acknowledge where I was at in my grieving process and how I wasn't really processing any of the whole experience of the past four to five years until I had to plan my sister's baby shower and host it, which was this past January. And it was at that point that I realized that I was not okay. And I realized that if I carry on this way, I won't ever be okay. I just kind of expected that if I gave it enough time, it would just magically fix itself. And that I would stop feeling all of the things that I was feeling. But that, that is not the case in any way, shape or form. So I kind of went into a deep dive of trying to figure out what it is that I needed in order to be able to figure out my emotions and to figure out my thoughts and where I was at. And that's actually where I came across um, the Lamb podcast. And I also did a deep dive on Amazon and book searches in terms of coping with miscarriage and how to. And one book that I actually found on miscarriage was really, truly so very helpful for me is called What to Expect When You're No Longer Expecting. And so much of what she says in that book just resonated with me on every single level. She goes through her own two miscarriages and she's also a doctor. So she looks at it from different perspectives, but just everything that she talks about and her whole grieving process, it broke it down in, for me in a way that I was able to connect to it. And I didn't really realize what I had been doing to myself until I read that book. In so many ways, I had been punishing myself for not being able to do the one thing that I was supposed to do. And I was also punishing myself for the choice that I had made four years ago. I kept, I decided when we terminated that I was never going to have the shoulda, coulda, woulda thought process in my head. We made the decision. We made it based on factors and items that were going on in our lives at that period of time. And that you're never going to be able to, to go back and say, well, what if we had done it differently? Because we, that decision isn't there anymore. So I promised myself that when we made the decision to terminate that I wouldn't. And I found myself just going through this constant reoccurring thought process of, well, what if we had had that kid? You know, maybe I'm being punished for it now. The decisions that I made four years ago are just going to continue to punish me. Um, that I shouldn't be allowed to have a kid because we made the decision to to terminate one that could have been help, healthy. And I mean, could have been healthy in the sense that we hadn't gone through the process of, of figuring out that genetic portion of it yet when we made the decision. And one of the big, big things from that book and the big takeaway 
was the punishing of myself. And during this whole process and actually immediately after, like, and I mean, immediately after the miscarriage, the miscarriage happened in June of 2020. So I'm talking like July, August, not even a month afterwards, I went into this deep dive of figuring out what was wrong with me. I saw geneticists, I saw my gynecologist, I saw a fertility expert, I had all the blood taken, I had the ultrasound to check how many eggs I had left. We talked seriously with an IVF doctor to figure out what our options were. Any kind of doctor related to fertility and tests that you could do, we did. And it was all related around this, this internal thought process that was going on that now I can say it, but at the time I wasn't aware of it was, it has to be you that there is something that is wrong with you and it's you are the reason why you can't have kids. And it was this constant punishment to myself of feeling like I wasn't worth it and that I wasn't capable of having kids. And it wasn't until I read that book that I realized that I'd been punishing myself for the past like eight months. And it was eye-opening and it really helped along with the podcast to actually be able to figure out what I had been doing that was obviously not healthy and how to, to flip that mindset and how to switch it so that I stopped punishing myself and stopped feeling like I was the problem. And there's always going to be a portion in my story where I am in quotation marks, the problem when it comes to my genetics. But the miscarriage and what happened in that portion is, is not my fault. And it's not, it's not something that I internally did wrong. It's not me being punished for decisions that we made four years ago. It is a shitty situation that happened and it sucks so much, but it is not this, this punishment for choices that we made at a time in our lives. And I just agree, you know, I agree so hard that it's, I think that you're always, even if you didn't have the experience of terminating a pregnancy four years ago, you would find some way to blame yourself or think that you're being punished. Um, oh, yeah. Like, it's just, you know, it's, it's what we as women who go through miscarriage, unfortunately, that's part of the grieving process. Oh, 100%. And, and, and looking back, it was, you know, you go through all of these questions in your head. Did, you know, did I work out too, too hard? Did I work out too frequently? Did I not take care of myself? Did, or was it something that I, that I did that caused it? And those questions, unfortunately, will, will never be answered. And it's kind of one of those unknowns that will stay in your head. But there's, there's something that like, you need to understand with miscarriage is that like, you'll never, you'll never get those answers. And there's portions of things that you can do for yourself. But there's also needs to be a portion of forgiveness and, and grace within yourself, as well as, as your partner, 
of forgiving yourself for going through this and forgiving yourself for, for experiencing it and having, having to go through it. And if you can't get to that point where you're able to forgive yourself for what you couldn't control, and then everything that you could control that you did to yourself afterwards, like for instance, I drank way too much afterwards. I stopped taking care of my body. I stopped exercising. I overworked. And all of it was just a way of being like, you can't do what it is you're supposed to do. So I'm just going to beat you into like a million pieces. And if I hadn't been able to eventually get to the point of one, recognizing it, but two, forgiving myself for it, I wouldn't be able to be at the place where I'm at now where I can, I can comfortably go like, yes, I could go through wanting to have a child again. And like that want never went away, but there was always this like fear of, can I go through this again? And, and that's, that's a hard one. (laughs) So for us, for me, looking back now, getting that entire doctor team on board was definitely not the best thing to do immediately after the miscarriage. But, but now it, it favors us because I have all of them around us as a support group and kind of that like doctor circle that we need. Um, and we have actually made the decision that with my bone disease and everything going on that we are going to go through IVF. Um, I like to think of it as the one saving grace that this miscarriage did give us was that we were able to do the full genetic sequencing and testing on this embryo to actually find out where, what my exact genetic trigger is and where it lies so that we can test it for, for future. And it, it might've ended up being a miscarriage because of that. It could have been a chromosomal issue. There are so many reasons as to why it could have been, but at least now I have something that I can, I can work towards in terms of like what our future might be. So there, there is that one small, small nugget of grace right there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's a big nugget of grace. I mean, I think it's (laughs) it's a big opportunity to, you know, um, that is an added factor of having something in your genetics that you could pass along. And I imagine that that's such an added layer that's just so stressful and difficult. And I really appreciate you sharing um, your first pregnancy so openly because I think that that's also not something that's talked about enough is that, you know, sometimes um, pregnancies are terminated for a number of reasons. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not wanted. And it's, and it's, mm-hmm. I did have one question. Um, you, mm-hmm. So you had, you took Cytotec or the medication to induce your miscarriage that you had nine months ago. Yes. Years ago, whenever you, um, you did terminate, did you miscarry at home or? Yes. Did you so we took, we we did the pills both times um, and was pretty much left alone in the dark in terms of what to experience and what to expect in both situations. Um, the first one was traumatic in its own right, just for, for everything else involved with it. 
Um, the second one was emotionally devastating on top of, of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's so hard. I'm so sorry that you experienced that. <laughs> um, while you were telling your story of taking the medication, I was just sitting here like shaking my head because that was exactly um, where I was with my second loss is kind of like, I was told just to expect to have a really bad day. And mm -hmm. it like, that was an understatement. Like I, I can't, it was horrible. It's a horrible experience. And, and whether or not it's because he was a male guy now and he's never experienced or he's just so desensitized from the whole thing, I don't know. But I was just told to expect like a really bad period. That that was not early bad period. That was like the worst four days of my life. <laughs> like it was it was horrible. Yeah. And no one ever tells you that that's actually what you're going to expect and that the pains that you're experiencing are actual labor pains. And that's why it hurts so much more than what, you know, normal cramps in a really bad flow day would be like. And yeah. it's just, it's such a missed opportunity because I think if, if from a medical side, if you were to actually prepare a woman more more so in terms of what is actually going to happen there's a little bit of that like mental portion that you can put yourself at ease because there's an emotional distress that you're going through but there's also this mental distress of like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here and what am I supposed to expect is this normal is this not and then you're just dealt with all of that that other self-doubt and worry on top of everything else where you don't really need to be worrying about that yeah no, I completely agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it's going to help so many people just like the Life After Miscarriage podcast helped you. And so um, where can people connect with you? Do you share this on any social media or is it okay if people reach out if they're in similar situations? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would encourage anyone to reach out. I've reached out to a few of the lamb people with stories that I really resonated with. So definitely do. Uh, the best way would actually be through Instagram. And my handle is Gingy Studio. So it would be my business one, which would be J-E-E-N-G-I Studio. Um, you can find me on that. And I think the one thing that I would leave with is with anyone who has weird periods or weird flows or PCOS or just something isn't feeling right in your own hormonal situation, I would very much recommend reading the book in the flow. It changed my entire relationship with my hormones and connected me in a way and made me realize all of these things that have been going on for years that the standard medical system just doesn't talk about. And it's actually helped me more than any of the gazillion things that I did in terms of naturopath and everything else. So I would really strongly recommend reading that book. It is an eye opener and can really help you reconnect with yourself on more of like a feminine hormonal level.